Thanks for joining us on Battle Walks as we walk across the great battlefields of Europe. If you're enjoying the show, why not become a member? Every week, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes available only to subscribers, and you can listen to all our episodes completely ad-free. Click on the link in the show notes to join us via ACAST+. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A Living History Production. I'm Matt McLaughlin. And I'm Pete Smith. We're battlefield historians who love nothing better than getting out and walking the ground where great battles in history took place. And now we'd like you to come with us. Every week, Battle Walks will take you to one of the great battlefields of Europe. As we walk the ground, we'll dig through the pages of history, we'll uncover the secrets of the battlefields, and most importantly, we'll tell the stories of the people who fought and died there. Welcome to Battle Walks. Hello everybody, welcome to Battle Walks. Uh, my name is Peter Smith, um, I'm by myself today, I haven't got my colleague Matt McLaughlin with me, because this is going to be one of uh, my out and about uh, podcasts, so we're going to be uh, literally on the ground, which is where I am at the moment, so where am I? Well, I'm not even in France, which is where I, I normally uh, base myself, I've crossed over the channel and i uh, I'm on the Sussex Downs, uh, just uh, looking down on the town of Brighton, coastal town of Brighton. Uh, the reason I'm here, well, I've actually popped across the channel. Thankfully, we can travel a little bit easier now. Popped across the channel to uh, visit my son. And whilst here, I thought I'd uh, take the opportunity to come across um, to the coast and have a look at the Chattery Memorial. So this is where we are. If I sound like I'm slightly out of breath, it's because I am, <laughs> because I've just literally walked up a, a hill for a couple of kilometres uh, from uh, the road. It might even be further than that. It certainly feels uh, further than that. So I'm uh, uh, right on the top of the, the Sussex uh, the Sussex Downs, about 500 feet above sea level, and the location is a place called Holt Hill. Uh, the nearest town uh, or little village that we're near to is a, a place called Patcham. So let's... Uh, have a walk around this memorial. So this memorial is is very Indian looking. That's what I'll say straight away. And there's obviously going to be a reason for that. The Chattery Memorial is uh, relevant to uh, the Indian soldiers who uh, fought and uh, died for the empire during the First World War. So it's almost a little uh, minaret, octagon uh, shaped. It's actually uh, built out of uh, marble, partly out of marble. Um, and uh, it's a very important site for those Indian soldiers who who came here, because it's where the the cremations were done. 
um, unusually. Uh, we're used to burials, and that's all we've, we talk about mo- on most of these podcasts. One way or another, we're at a, a Commonwealth War Grave Cemetery, but not this time. This is where Indian soldiers, both uh, Hindus and Sikhs, uh, were brought up here to be uh, cremated. If they died on one of the uh, one of the hospitals close to here, and that's what we're also going to be talking about during this podcast, is the famous Brighton Pavilion. And we're going to uh, walk down to that and, and have a chat about that uh, after we've finished up here. So Brighton Pavilion, uh, middle of the town, along with two other locations. One was a school that was converted into a hospital, and, and one, I believe, was a workhouse also converted into a hospital. So three hospital complexes particularly uh, uh, picked uh, to take wounded Indian soldiers coming across from the Western Front. At the date time we're looking at is 1914-1915. Uh, that's when Indian soldiers predominantly were fighting on the Western Front. After that, they are moved across to uh, to fight in Mesopotamia. Uh, and uh, uh, so no longer do the wounded come here. In fact, they went straight uh, back to, to India. So Indian soldiers coming here, uh, sadly some of them dying, and they are brought up here onto this this beautiful site, up on the top of the uh, of the Sussex Downs, um, and we ha- uh, and they are cremated here. So this uh, commemorates uh, the site of the funeral pyres that were uh, that were here for the Indian soldiers. Um, it was an important site for them, and is an important site still for Indians who are commemorating the war. And it's also it's an important site for us. It's just, I have to say, this is the first time I've been, and I actually couldn't find it to start off with. I found it very difficult. For some reason, I thought that we could drive fairly close. You cannot. It's uh, quite, a, quite a hike to get here and uh, uphill. Um, but well worth the view. The views across onto the uh, onto the coastline and over overlooking Brighton itself, and uh, to uh, in fact a wind farm beyond. You can actually see a, a wind farm uh, uh, beyond. So let's do a little bit of the the details uh, of here. Um, so as I said, five hundred feet uh, above sea level. The first cremations took place here on the 31st of December uh, 1914 and the last one on the 30th of December 1915 so a year of uh, of cremations uh, taking place here um 53 soldiers indian soldiers were cremated here um and we have 21 others muslims in fact who were buried and they were buried uh in working uh, they're no longer there and there's a podcast in its own right uh, of this site it's a, a very sad little site in fact it became very run down and eventually the commonwealth war graves decided that they would uh, exhume the bodies uh, from the site in working and move them to the brookwood burial ground that has a, a large uh, military sector section there uh, and they were buried uh, they were buried there um so 53 soldiers uh, cremated cremated here and i just like i just like that imagery i suppose of uh, when um, most of you will be aware that uh, the cremations are done for for hindus and sikhs in india and uh, that imagery of them up on the downs here in this these beautiful views around here uh, the solemn processions bringing uh, bringing them up here for them to be cremated having been taken uh, from the from the hospitals um, I'm going to just read an article uh, in the Brighton that was uh, written in the Brighton Herald, and this was at the period when they were thinking of building this uh, this memorial here. To those who do not know the history, this chattery, so essentially Indian in general design and in every detail, may seem a thing alien to the open downland scenery in which it is set. It is artistically appropriate that it should be so. 
for East came to West in a strange romantic way, when on these Sussex towns the ashes were burned of Hindu warriors born in remote villages in faraway Hindustan, for whom the wildest imagination could never have suggested at their birth that their funeral fires would be fanned by the winds that swept these Sussex hills. So I think that's uh, just a beautiful way of putting it. And that was uh, basically in the Brighton Herald uh, when the, uh, uh, they were preparing for the ceremonies to, uh, uh, for the building of this, uh, uh, the completion and inauguration of this, this wonderful memorial. As I said, built from Sicilian marble um, and uh, octa- octagonal base, eight pillars. Uh, and it's just a lovely memorial. The seat's all around it, and that's what I'm sitting in at the moment. I need to. Uh, and I say, looking out over, over the downs, I've, just to give you an idea, there are, there's little uh, stairways leading up to it, so you can sit on the stairs, or there are seats facing it, seats behind it, seats looking out to sea, so it's a, a wonderful place to come. I'm actually sitting on a seat very uh, close, tucked into the memorial, because I'm trying to get out of the wind, because it affects the microphone. Um but uh, yeah, lovely, uh, lovely location. So, wh- how did this happen? How did this uh, end up being buried here? How were the soldiers actually cremated here? Well, it was uh, immediately when uh, when it was decided that Brighton should become the centre, the centre of the the care of wounded Indian soldiers. Then it became fairly obvious that not all of them would survive, and a location needed to be picked for the, for. Firstly, it was thought that they would be buried, but then. Um, I think we did the right thing. We decided that it was uh, necessary uh, to to build these uh, these burning guts because that's what the term that the term is. They're called burning guts, and um, I think four burning guts were were actually uh, placed up here. It was actually inaugurated by the the Prince of Wales. Um, he came uh, came up here to inaugurate it, and. Um, he was very honoured to do so, which which is interesting, just in its own right, that he wanted to come up here, and uh, this is what uh, what he wrote. We are here uh, met to dedicate a memorial to brave men, our fellow subjects, who after the fire and stress of Flanders, received the last sacred rites of their religion on this, emin- uh, this high eminence. It is benefit, uh, benefiting that we should remember and that future generations should not forget that our Indian comrades came when our need was highest. Free men, voluntary soldiers who were true to their salt and gave their lives in a, cro- a quarrel which it was uh, enough for them to know that the enemy were the foes of their sahibs, their empire and their king. It was a great adventure to them to leave home and a congenial climate to pass over the black water and to give all in a conflict which is, which the issues were to most of them strange and impersonal. He goes on, uh, In conclusion, though this is purely a memorial to the Hindu and Sikh soldiers, I am thinking too of the Mohammedan soldiers who passed away in your care. These men were buried with all military honours at Woking. I hear that before long, a gate of oriental character, the gifts of Indians will adorn the pavilion. Now that uh, has happened as well. Um, the pavilion has a beautiful uh, gateway uh, uh, into it. Now we'll talk about that a little uh, a little later. Rudyard Kipling was also in a in attendance here. Now to enhance the site. Uh, the uh, Commonwealth War Graves, so we are going to talk about the Commonwealth War Graves, uh, decided that they should build a memorial here as well. And the Patcham Down Indian Forces uh, cremation memorial is just below the uh, the memorial itself. Um, so this was actually 
was a, a group of Indians who lobbied for it to be, uh, to be built. And eventually in 2009, uh, the Commonwealth War Graves decided that it was appropriate to commemorate the names of the dead Indian soldiers at the cremation site. So they are actually commemorated here and they're all named, which I think is a very good idea, idea to have them named on, on, on this memorial itself. So I can highly recommend that you uh, you do the walk that I've done that we uh, that you walk up to the 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 site here. Um, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to walk back down to my car. We certainly can't walk all the way into Brighton from here; it's too far. Uh, but we're going to walk down into Brighton, then we're going to stand in front of the uh, the Brighton Pavilion, and we'll have a chat about the Brighton Pavilion and why uh, Indian soldiers will be brought here in in 1914. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to you again in a minute. So here we are, we're standing outside the Royal Pavilion. I'm just going to uh, go into the grounds and again find somewhere where I can uh, can sit down. So just move across under this, this, this tree here. Um, so the Royal Pavilion, how on earth do I describe the Royal Pavilion? Um, well, let's, uh, let's talk about its history. I think we'll start off with a little bit of its history. Um, it was uh, built uh, between 1787 and 1823. Uh, and it has the design as if it should be in uh, really a, a fantasy setting. It looks like something uh, from Disneyland, to be honest. It's uh, a mixture of uh, of of Indian style, so uh, something you'd expect the Mughal emperors to have built, with a, a little a, a little bit of Chinese in there. It's a most uh, astounding uh, uh, building, really. I, I suppose. Um, basically, it's, it's it's something that George the uh, Fourth wanted. He wanted uh, a palace to be built on the coast, and it is the start of the of uh, I suppose uh, Brighton itself becoming what it still is today—a great uh, holiday location, very cosmopolitan. Um, uh, if you haven't been to Brighton, it's a lovely place to come to. Lots of bookshops here, I hasten to add. Um, so uh, it uh, was of his uh, his design. It's what he wanted—something spectacular—and it was adorned spectacularly. But it's it's was fairly dramatic. Queen Victoria didn't like it at all, and when she basically in, inherited it as one of the royal palaces, uh, she said, "No, no, no, I'm not not into this at all." She wanted Osborne on the white uh, on the Isle of Wight, and that's what she got. And she decided that some of the fittings and, and features in here should be removed. So it uh, it slowly it's, it's a de- decline, a uh, steady decline, things being removed from it, taken elsewhere. Um, and, and so eventually it's the people of Brighton that uh, really get fed up of it being taken to bits and decide that uh, they want it, they don't want it pulling down, they want it as it is, and so it became uh, the property of the, the town of Brighton. And uh, and they then decide that, th- that they would like to enhance it themselves, and actually Queen Victoria uh, decided that perhaps some of the bits should be given back, and so she gave some bits back, and in recent years I have to say an awful lot of what was taken from it from its original building, has been returned, and it now is a beautiful uh, palace again inside, and well worth uh, a visit. It's rather expensive to go in. We're not going to go inside. We're going to stay outside. Um, but it's uh, it's well worth, and just looking, walking around it from the outside and just like, looking at it is uh, it's spectacular. So uh, it's um, it's now been uh, restored, but why does it become a hospital during the, during the Great War? Well, again, as we've been discussing earlier, it was decided that a place was needed for wounded Indian soldiers to uh, uh, to be uh, hospitalised, to be cared for, and um, basically a commission 
decided to have a look and see what was was uh, suitable. And the mayor of Brighton offered it. He basically offered it and said, look, this building looks spectacular. It looks marginally Indian. And to our eye now, it seems very condescending that we should pick something that looks Indian and, th- Indian and think that Indian soldiers would feel happy to be, to, to be in there. I have to say, when you read any accounts or anything written about it, 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 it didn't feel condescending at the time. And it was done with, uh, with good intentions, I think. Um, and so we have to look at our I like to look at it from that point of view, that this wasn't condescending. They picked a building that looked Indian uh, because they uh, they felt that it would uh, it would uh, suit Indian soldiers. So that's what happens, and they also picked the Brighton Workhouse, as I said earlier, and a school uh, to give them uh, enough uh, enough space uh, for uh, for the uh, for the beds. Um, the dome itself, there's a big dome in the middle of the uh, of the pavilion itself, where it had beds uh, or capable to take the beds of 1,500 uh, beds could be uh, could be laid out on the floor there. So as we can see, this was not going to be a small hospital; um, it's going to be a, a, a large uh, a large location uh, and a Along with the Brighton uh, uh, workhouse, then uh, and the school, so um, ambulance trains would come here. Uh, and during the war, they carried the over thirty thousand uh, Indian soldiers were brought here to this area to uh, to be uh, operated on, uh, rested. Um, in some cases, returned to the war, but in others, uh, this will be, will be where they sadly, as we know, they will they will uh, finally find their their final resting place here. Um, so the first contingent arrived on the 5th of, of December and were taken to the Royal Pavilion. And then the second contingent arrived on the 14th of December. Um, at so much excitement, by then they realised that Indian troops were arriving here. And, and so people were waiting, the streets were lined, people wanted to see these Indian soldiers arriving here um, and uh, to be uh, to looked after in their hospital. Because remember this, this pavilion, this beautiful uh, building... Uh, I'm going to describe it a little bit more. It needs a, a little bit more describing. It it looks a little bit like, if you imagine the the minarets, these towers on top of it, look like up, upturned onions, I suppose. That would be a good description of them. But it's a, just an extraordinary building, beautifully coloured, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. So, hospital beds, the Indian soldiers are going to be, uh, going to be um, uh, put in, uh, into these beds. Um, and so uh, I'm going to read another excerpt from the Brighton Gazette. This one uh, dated December the 16th in 1914. At last, the wounded Indian Indians are duly installed at Brighton. They arrived under rather mournful conditions, a drab day, rainstorms and a fierce sea running in the channel, mud-laden streets and a vista of dripping umbrellas and mackintoshes. That was the first impression the warriors got of Brighton, and it was rather chilling. But crowds assembled to voice public welcome, and the reception undoubtedly cheered the brave fellows. The hundred stretcher cases in the first train that reached the terminus on Monday afternoon constituted perhaps the most distressing of the many pathetic sights seen on similar occasions during the past four months. Something akin to a feeling of awe was created by the silence with which the work of bringing them out of the train and placing them in the motor ambulances was carried out. So, uh, yes, it became a, a place of safety. Civilians uh, would often wait outside to get glimpses of them, and you can see pictures of these guys. I'll try and get to find some of these pictures to put on uh, on the uh, the Facebook page associated with the uh, the site, um, and we can see. Uh, people standing outside looking at these uh, these Indian soldiers as they walk uh, in and out. So I'm now going to read you a 
lovely little article I found, and this is written by a, um, uh, an author, and uh, it's called The Indian Hospital, and it was written by an English novelist called Alfred Olivant, uh, and it's about his, his visit to the hospital. I won't read the whole thing because it goes on a little bit, but it just gives you an idea of what the people felt at the time. When George IV, then Prince of Wales, designed this pavilion by the sea and turned the little fishing village into the fashionable watering place, he never surely dreamt of the use to which his great-great-nephew would put its halls and gardens a century later. A tall brown stockade surrounds the gardens now. Over it you see the domes and minarets and ornate roofs, not of an eastern palace as you might expect, but of the pleasure house of an English king. As we drove up to the gate, a man in khaki stopped us. The motor slid on through the garden and drew up at the entrance. On the seats by the lawns, under the elms, figures were sitting, strange indeed, and yet not entirely out of place in that semi-oriental environment. Men in blue coats and trousers, those are the hospital blues that uh, wounded soldiers wore. Brown men with white puggarees bound round their heads, one came hobbling down the path on crutches, swinging a big foot as a punching ball by reason of its bandages. The doctor, a major, for the purposes of this war, was beckoning me from the door. I followed him, catching as he entered a glimpse of an old board on one side of the entrance. On it, painted in letters dingy with age and weather, were the words, Royal Pavilion. These floors, which of old answered to the nimble feet of courtiers, the swish of ladies' skirts, echo now to the stump of crutches, the slithering of slippered feet, and the shuffle of carrying parties bearing patients to and fro from the operating theatres set up in what was the old, uh, perhaps, pantry. In the entrance lobby, there was a group of brown men. Some were playing cards and some were playing, watching the players, with their dark faces and red scarves bound about their heads, an occasional crutch or peep of white bandage. They looked like a jolly pack of pirates out of one of Stevenson's books. But surely no cutthroats ever looked so uh, happy or grinned with such utter honesty. Gerkers, said the doctor in my ear. Ripping little beggars, full of fun and so game. I like the wording in this report, it's of its time. We moved down a long passage in which brown men in blue lolled about and limped and white men in brown bustled, that's the orderlies, uh, the medical personnel. For in this hospital, with its hundreds of beds, the nursing is of necessity done by men. There were some women uh, women here, but not many, and they were many of the matrons uh, who were here. At the end of each bed is hung a board, and on the board is the record of the man's name, regiment, and nature of his wound. We move from bed to bed. Here a splendid young Sikh, his hair loose from its rings and flowing about his neck in glorious black rivulets. There a Gurkha boy, aged eighteen, oiling his scalpy locks. He grins at us like a, a friendly bullpup as we pass. The dogra in the bed hard by handles a little leather purse that lies at the bedside and beckons us and beckons us. Bullet, he says, bullet, and he shows us the jagged bit of copper that the doctor has extracted from his body. I won't read more. If you can track it down, it's well worth reading. There's uh, there's an awful lot of information there. Um I'm not going to do much more. I think this is uh, it's just a, a short podcast. It just gives you an idea of what there is to see. Uh, that's not perhaps what you're normally used to expecting 
uh, either Matt or myself to talk about. As I say, it's unusual that I'm in England. I'm going to try and find a few more uh, places to uh, to do little podcasts about. Um, but up on the hills, on those Sussex Downs, looking down, it's just so worth uh, worth it and tying it in with a visit to the, the hospital. And, and please do, do go inside. Don't think that you have to go uh, stand outside. It's just I'm not going in. It'd be quite noisy in there and uh, I wouldn't be able to record inside. So I prefer to be on the, the outside of the building. But link the two together. Think about the Indian soldiers who were, who were here for that year from 1914 to uh, to 1915, um, and uh, and their experience or, of being here in England. It must have been so extraordinary for a, for a lot of them. First of all, Flanders and fighting uh, the, the Germans there uh, in the mud, and then c- and coming here and and uh, where they're trying to to give them a little bit of a, a home from home. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed that brief interview to uh, to Brighton and and these two locations, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Firstly, you can become a member. For a small monthly fee, you can subscribe to the show and listen to every episode ad-free and also receive exclusive episodes directly from Pete and I. So see the link in the show notes to sign up at ACAST Plus and become a member of the show. Also, if you want to make a one-off contribution, you can now buy us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash battlewalks and you can make a small contribution there. See you next week.